this message is Pharisee must die. Um, and all of us, I think, have a little bit of Pharisee in us. And certainly for the Apostle Paul, it was important that the Pharisee in him that he'd been building up all his life, he'd been working towards, he wanted to be the best of the best. And the Pharisee in him had to die before Jesus could use him. And, and this is from 12 Steps for the Recovering Pharisee, like me in brackets, and Finding Grace to Live Unmasked by John Fisher. And, and so he follows the 12-step program, and I think it's a great book, and if, if uh, anybody would like to borrow it, it's certainly available. <clears throat> the Pharisee enter the picture as the ones who figure out a way to make the old covenant work for them, thus making the new one unnecessary. As official interpreters of the laws of God, they adapt the standards through their own interpretation until the law, actually their version of it, becomes something that is not impossible to perform, but indeed quite possible, though difficult and meticulous at times. The standard is set so that attaining it is difficult enough to weed out the undesirables, but not so difficult as to become overly burdensome. And that's the key. Armed with this new standard, Pharisees can then qualify themselves for righteousness and judge those um, who, according to their measurement, fall short. Once this course is entered upon, it can breach into myriad avenues of arrogance, judgment, and false humility. What makes pharisaical sin so dangerous is that it disguises itself as a form of enlightenment. And this is what Jesus meant when he said, if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? That's Matthew 6.23. The darkness is great because one is deluded into thinking it is light. You think you are seeing better than anyone else when, in fact, you can't see at all. This means the idea that you can't see is farthest from you. A blind person knows he is blind. A Pharisee thinks he can see, and this is why the light with him and w within him is actually darkness. Jesus called the Pharisees blind guides. So it is necessary in this darkness that we call light to identify our error and then get free from our entrapment. Exactly the job of all recovery groups. It could even be argued that our churches ought to be more like this. The church should be the most honest place on earth, a place where it is possible to say among friends, Hi, I'm John, and I'm a Pharisee. Hi, John, comes the echo, and we revel in the realization that this is the meeting place of accountability for equals. These are the these are the, the Simons who want to come down off of their pedestals and join the company of saved sinners at the feet of Jesus, who, like the prostitute anointing his feet with perfume and tears, can't seem to get enough of this grace and forgiveness. This is the gospel for those courageous enough to tear off their masks of adequacy and self-righteousness and get on with life, a life of gratitude and love for others. This is the Pharisee recovery group of which I speak, and these are the steps that will lead us out. 
I know, for I am an expert in the downturned look, the haughty eye, the wagging head, and I've had enough of it. Welcome to the group. Doesn't that make you want to read the book? Okay. What does a Pharisee look like today? Well, I think he had a pretty good description, but I've got, um, I want to add some. Well, the church doesn't have an official group dedicated, uh, a, a dedicated group of individuals called Pharisees anymore, like they did in, in Jesus' time. The spirit of what it is to be a Pharisee is alive and well in many churches. Here are seven signs you might be a modern-day Pharisee. So you might be, number one, you might be a modern, you might be a Pharisee if, if you spend more time focusing on what you hate rather than on what you love. What you hate more than, you know, that's a big turnoff. I'm against this. I'm against this. I'm against this. What are you for? What are you standing for? Stand up for Jesus. You know what? When you shine, when you let the light shine, the darkness flees. You don't have to point at the darkness. Just let the light shine. Uh, number two, you might be a Pharisee if you zoom in on another person's sin, but act as if you don't have any sins of your own. That is plank and eye disease. <laughs> Just say it, plank and eye. Yeah, okay. Plank and eye disease. You know, Jesus said you need to take the plank out of your own eye first. Uh, now, number three, you might be a Pharisee when you spread accusations against others without even going to them directly. You know, Matthew chapter uh, 18, uh, uh, there's, um, there, there's a checklist of how you deal with that. If, you, if somebody has sinned against you or if, you, if, if something is off kilter, you go to that pers person individually. You don't start talking about them to your friends. That, oh, this person is like this. No, you don't do that. Uh, you might be a Pharisee, number four, if you are quick to pass judgment. And what about the grace you've received? Can't you give grace as you've received it from the Lord Jesus Christ? Number five, you might be a Pharisee if you rarely admit that you have any weaknesses at all. When in love someone points out that you cannot, I mean, and then, yeah, when somebody points out something in you, in love, right, that they're worried about you, you can't take that correction. You can't take it. Number six, you might be a Pharisee if you tend to stay in your flock and keep feeding the wolf with people who are just like you, watching YouTube and TikTok and others, other things, just that, that things that, that are, are feeding you and your position, right? And you might be a Pharisee if you just keep doing that and if you're not looking at any other position. Finally, this one's big, you might be a Pharisee if you continually to take on the role of the Holy Spirit. You know what I'm talking about? if you're continually taking on the role of the Holy Spirit. In other words, you see problems or you see something in somebody else's life that you think that would help them spiritually and you try to make it happen by yourself. That's the job of the Holy Spirit, right? And if you're trying to take... here, So um, in John 16, 8, Jesus said, and speaking of the Holy, 
the Spirit of God. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. It's the Holy Spirit that's going to do that, not us. We're not going to do that. That's not our job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But so many times, a Pharisee, uh, the spirit of Phariseeism uh, will try to do that on their own. They'll try to convict somebody, right? And when you try to do that convicting, that's the flesh, and that's a problem because it's not from the Spirit of God. I remember, I, I remember in a, a church I pastored, a little old Ukrainian lady, and she, sweet lady, uh, well, okay, maybe not sweet. You had to try playing Scrabble with her. She was vicious. Anyway, little old Ukrainian lady, says somebody had come to church, hadn't been to church for a while, a long time actually, came to church, decided to go out on the church step and have a smoke. Well, she went out there, and as she passed, she let him have it. Did that? You shouldn't do, do that. God doesn't like that. Well, you know what? He never came back. You know what? It wasn't her job to do that. Her job is to love him. And, and bes- you know what? C.S. Lewis smoked a pipe. You know, I, I, didn't, I, I don't remember ever hearing anybody challenging C.S. Lewis about his smoking. But, but you know what? I mean, we, that's not our job. That's not our job. Somebody said, if you don't find cigarette boat, butts on the out, outside the door of your church, then you're not doing your job. <laughs> I love that. Paul was very passionate about the difference between the works of the law and grace and the work of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he'd experienced both. He'd experienced the works of the law. He wanted to excel in that. He wanted to be the best. He'd experienced both, and he could compare them side by side. And I'll tell you what, I, I'm with Paul. Works, the law, that's, it's not what you think it is. It's not what you think it is. And so Paul was a Pharisee, and the Pharisee in him had to die. The Pharisee in us must surely die also. And so Paul points us to the way of grace, a better way, the only way. And so I want to read our text in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I want to start reading in verse 5. We're going to read through the whole chapter. Starting at verse 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But, in the minist- but if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadfastly, steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that 
excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their hearts. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, that is Jesus, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror with the, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Well, that's a whole mouthful, isn't it? Now, I, I could have read that in a different translation and, and maybe brought a little, bit of, a little bit of clarity to it in the reading. But let's go through it. Um, the law is good. The four things I want to look at. The law is good. The law brings death. And the Spirit gives life, choose life or death. You get to choose. Okay. The law is good. Uh, there are some laws in Canada and the United States that make you wonder if they're any good at all. There's some crazy laws. There's still laws on the books that make you go, hmm, really? Wow. And, um, but I have to admit that the seatbelt law, is pr it, it's meant for good, isn't it? The seatbelt law. The UN recently announced that laws making seatbelts uh, seatbelt use mandatory in cars have saved millions of lived, lives. As a matter of fact, last June, I think they made an announcement saying that this was now 50 years. They were celebrating a half a century of seatbelt laws. That's when it started, 50 years ago last year. And, and the law does absolutely no good if you don't put your seatbelt on. Right? The law doesn't do you any good if you don't use your seatbelt. Oh, you might get away with it for a while, but there's always a chance that you'll have an accident and the seatbelt will save your life. The children of Israel were told many times that in keeping God's law, there was great reward, but they always took a chance not keeping God's law. They always slipped up. God's law was actually to bless them. God's law was good for them. Through Moses, God gave the law. The children of Israel were told, if you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give your your rains in their season and the land shall yield its increase. It was for their good. That's Leviticus 26. And observing God's law would bring reward, and that's good, right? So the law was good. After Moses died, Joshua picked up exactly where Moses left off. And he said to the children of Israel, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For when, then you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have good 
success. And so what is Joshua saying? The law is good. The law is good for you, and it would help. And Psalm 19, verses 7 and 8. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord, uh, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Paul, of course, knew all of this off by heart, because he was the wanted to be the Pharisee of Pharisees, and so he would have memorized the Word of God. If anyone was going to earn his way to God's favor, it was going to be the Apostle Paul. Now, did Paul outright reject the law when he was saved? No. The law wasn't rejected. All of a sudden, it wasn't rejected. All of a sudden, he understood the law. He understood the purpose of the law, that, that he didn't minimize it. He put it into context. To the Romans, he explained that the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. That's Romans 7.12. The problem is that although the law is meant for our good, there's another side to the same coin. If you are unable to keep the law, there are consequences if you can't keep the law. You see, the law was meant for their good if they could keep it. They couldn't keep it, nor can we. That's a f- And so, um, Paul continues in Romans seven thirteen. has when what is good become death to me? Has that which is, uh, that's a fair question. Paul answers, no, certainly not. He continues, but sin, that it might appear sin was produced producing death in me through what is good. And so that sin through the commandment might be become exceedingly sinful. So the law points out our sin. The wages of sin is death. When we sin, it brings death. And we're all sinners. And therefore, that's, and, and therefore actually, the law condemns us. And what's that condemnation is death. Right, the law. God's law condemns us, all of us. None of us are left out because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so all of us are guilty of breaking God's law all the time. We're always, we're lawbreakers. There's not a jail big enough in this world to keep us all. We're lawbreakers. And so the law brings death. And this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, he says the letter kills. That's the law. It kills. It brings death. It's the ministry of condemnation. It's the ministry of death. The law is meant to do us. Well, the law is good, though. So are you confused yet? The law brings death. Paul explains that the letter kills, referring to the law. And he calls you know, the ministry of death and the ministry of condemnation, he calls the law that. And so why is the law good? Why is it good if it brings death? Doesn't sound so good to me. Although, all through the Old Testament, we see that there are consequences for failing to keep God's law. And when the challenge is given to a person, a people, who keep God's law, God is always up front with what happens 
if you are unable to keep it. The Lord is slow to anger and rich in faithful love, forgiving wrongdoing and rebellion, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's wrongdoing on the children to the third and fourth generations. That's Numbers 14.18. Solomon wrote, Keep the commandments and keep your life. Despising them leads to death. That's Proverbs 19.16. Paul actually references the time when the Ten Commandments were given on Mount Sinai. Specifically, he points to this ministry of death. Uh, and, and did you catch that in, in verse 7? But if the ministry of death... And then what is this ministry of death? Okay, written and engraved on stones. This is the ministry, and he calls this, Paul's calling this good. Okay, the ministry of death which was written on stones. What's that? The Ten Commandments? The Ten Commandments are the ministry of death. The Ten Commandments were given to us. You get this? You need to understand this. The Ten Commandments were given to us to condemn us, not to save us. Isn't that something? This is what Paul is teaching here. The Ten Commandments were given to condemn us, not to save us. Wow. There's probably no greater illustration to what's in store for sinners than what happened when the Ten Commandments were given. And to, for, for that, we need to go back um, to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. Now, this is absolutely amazing. Because I want to read the first, maybe first five or so verses. First six verses. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed. Okay, so Moses had gone, God had called him up to the top of Mount Sinai, up there someplace in the clouds, where God was writing personally the Ten Commandments on these tablets of stone. Okay, God was doing the writing. And, and now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain. Okay, they were waiting for Moses. The cloud was still up there and there was fire and lightning and all of that was going on. And they were waiting for Moses. And the people gathered together to Aaron, that's Moses' brother, and said to him, Come, make us gods. What? Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, this blows me away. And Aaron said to them, why didn't Aaron fall on his face and, and, and start crying? And, and why didn't Aaron like say, look at you guys, what you're asking me is wrong. Why didn't Aaron say something? I, have, I, I don't know. And Aaron said to them, break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. And so the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Aaron made a little god for them. And then 
they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And so when Aaron saw it, he built an altar. Instead, <laughs> again, the people are saying, Oh, this is our God. And Aaron says, Oh, well, well, let's make an altar then if this is... What? Come on, Aaron. And he received... I mean, uh, and so when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is the feast to the Lord. More on that in a, in a minute. Then they rose up early the next day, offering burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. It was a party. And so verse 1, impatience. Impatience, taking matter in, matters into your own hands, will often bring sin when you are impatient, when you don't wait for the Lord. Okay? Um, Lamentations 3.25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. And so when we don't wait for God, when we get ahead of God, we often enter into sin. Uh, verse 2, careless use of your gold or your money will lead to sin. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. Ecclesiastes 5.10. What do you do with your money, with what God has given you? Often what you do with your money can lead to sin. Verse 3, blind, blindly following the cloud, the, the cloud, blah, 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 blah. blindly following the crowd will lead to sin. You must not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you are called to testify in a dispute, do not be swayed by the crowd to twist justice. That's Exodus 23, 2. How many... How many know that you just can't follow the crowd? I mean, as a believer, we are called a different way. Our path is a different path than the world's path. And so often when we're following the crowd, that will lead to sin. Uh, verses 4 to 6, creating a God in your own image. You see, they... Boy, that is sin. They... You know, and there are many people, they call themselves believers, but they have created God in their own image, and they don't believe the, in, in the God of the Bible. They will say, well, God is this or God is that, and this is, how, this is how I think God is. But what does God's word say about God? That's what we need to believe. They created a God, and even though they said it represented Jehovah, now, this is here. Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And now that word is Jehovah. Tomorrow is a feast to Jehovah. But they had created their own Jehovah in their own image. Actually, I think um, even it, it, this is misguided and wrong. In verse 20, we're told that Moses broke it down to powder when he came down. God, actually, God said, Moses, Moses uh, oh, Moses, uh, the people are partying and they've corrupted themselves. You need to get down there. Actually, Moses had no idea what was going on. It's actually God told Moses when he was up there, Moses, you need to get down down because there's something, they're, they're corrupting themselves. You need to get down there. And so Moses goes down. And when he goes down, he breaks 
the, the stone tablets immediately at the base of the mountain, what does that tell you? That the commandments were broken. It, it's, a, it's an illustration, a physical illustration about what the, where the people's hearts were. They had broken God's commandments already when they were receiving them. And so what Moses did is he broke that golden calf down and turned it into powder, and then he spread it on the water and made the guilty drink it. And so what would happen to their money, their gold, that they'd put into this golden calf? Well, you know what would happen to it. It eventually would come out in their excrement. And so that's what God thought of their sin and what they had set up as marvelous. And so here's where it gets really, really interesting. The rabbis teach. The rabbis teach that when the children of Israel were at Mount Sinai receiving the law 50 days after Passover, that this was the first Pentecost. It was a celebration. And, and so let's read what happens at this first Pentecost. Okay? And so starting at verse 25. Now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered together. The sons of Levi were the priests. Okay, all the sons of Levi came together to Moses. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from the entrance to entrance throughout the camp, and let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. And so the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. And then Moses said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, that he may bestow on you a blessing this day, for every man has opposed his son and his brother. And then Moses went up and pleaded for the, on behalf of the people. He went up and pleaded that God would not destroy them. Literally, Paul was correct when he said the letter kills. See, the law was being given, and they were guilty. And 3,000 died, about 3,000 died. It was literally true, and it continues to be literally true, and it continues to be spiritually true. Our sin separates us from God, and that results in death. We are condemned we are condemned to death because of our sin. So again, I, I got to ask then, what is the purpose of the law? We could make a list, but I believe there's one primary reason why God gave the law, and it's Paul's that points this out so very clearly in his teaching. Now we know that whatever the law says is addressed to those who are under the law and so that every mouth will be silenced and the whole world will be subject to God's judgment. The whole world. 
There's not one person excluded from this. For this reason, no one will be declared righteous in, this, in, in, in his sight by the works of the law. For through the law, we became aware of sin. So do you, get, do you understand why God gave us the law? Why did God give us the law? So that we would be aware that we're sinners. And with Paul, we cry out, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Well, the Spirit gives life. In our text, Paul testifies to the fact that the Spirit gives life, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, or as some translations say, there is freedom. Life and liberty has a certain ring to it, doesn't it? Matter of fact, in the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, this section starts out, this section 7, everyone has the right to life, liberty, and security. Well, I wish the government would take that seriously, but other than that, it's something we would like, isn't it? It's something good, life and liberty. It's available to us right now through the Spirit of God. Life and liberty through God's Spirit is available to us. So let me finish the illustration that I started with the first Pentecost. When the children of Israel were first receiving the law, it brought death. For the letter kills. The law is the ministry of death. The Ten Commandments is the ministry of condemnation. Well, we have the Spirit in contrast to that. And in Acts chapter uh, chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And, when the, and then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Well, that's another Pentecost. It's another Pentecost, that first Pentecost, the law was received, and death. This Pentecost, the first Pentecost in the church age, the Holy Spirit was received, and life, and life. Uh, there's a really cool contrast about this. On Mount Sinai, God's presence was accompanied by smoke and, and fire and the sound of thunder. At Pentecost, God's presence was accompanied by the sound of wind, tongues of fire, and the sound of speaking in other tongues. At Mount Sinai, about 3,000 died. This is absolutely amazing. At Pentecost, after Peter gave the invitation to follow Jesus, about 3,000 were baptized and saved, were given life. That is not an accident in our Bibles. That is not an accident. That when the law was given, 3,000 died. When the Spirit was given, 3,000 were made alive in Christ. That's not an accident. The ministry of condemnation and death was glorious, Paul said. And then he adds, which glory is passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? How is this even possible? Paul explains it perfectly in Galatians chapter 3. 
this way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life, but Christ has rescued us from the curse, that is the condemnation, the death sentence produced by the law, pronounced by the law. And when he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for a wrongdoing, for it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. And so Jesus became a curse for us. And then we can boldly proclaim as, and when Paul said, who will save me? We can boldly claim with Paul in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit, who gives life. So we choose either life or death. We get to choose that. We can, now, when Paul was confronted by Jesus on the road to Damascus, he had to make a choice. He can continue the way he was going, become a Pharisee, the best Pharisee ever, trying to keep the law all by himself, trying to be good enough, earning his way to heaven, but it would lead to death. What's the Pharisee represent? You know, I'm so glad that Paul chose life. Ultimately, each one has to make the same choice. We can continue as we are, and allow, or we can let the Pharisee in us die. And the Pharisee represents the law, self-sufficiency, pride, the ultimate condemnation, and death. There's only two ways to get to heaven. Oh. There are. Not funny. Yeah, well, it is kind of funny. But hear me out. There are only two ways to get to heaven. You can keep God's law perfectly and you can get to heaven that way. But you know what? None of us can do that. The law was given to expose us, to condemn us, to sentence us to death. That's why the law was given. None of us can keep it and so we're all guilty before God. There's only one true way to get to heaven and that's through Jesus Christ our Lord who has already paid the penalty he took our death penalty on himself and when we receive him and what he has done for us then we receive life we receive God's spirit it's that is that simple it's it's too simple for the world the world doesn't understand that but without Jesus there's no life Now, God is gracious. He's not going to force anybody to accept Jesus. That's why we have a choice. That's why we have a choice. Jesus died for the sins of the entire world. His sacrifice is sufficient for every sin ever committed. It is sufficient. Jesus' sacrifice is enough. Every sin committed in the past, every sin committed in the future, 
Jesus' sacrifice is enough. At the same time, his sacrifice is only effective for those who receive the work of Jesus by faith. It's only effective for those who receive him by faith. And that's where we go next Sunday. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what Jesus for what you did for us. We are overwhelmed and we are so thankful and we just we we just humbly we 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 admit we're guilty, we admit we're sinners, and we we humbly bow at your cross and say thank you. Thank you. Continue to do your work by your Holy Spirit in and through us in Jesus' name. Amen. Made us accept the, accepted in the beloved to God the Son who loved us and loosed us from our sins by his own blood. To God the Holy Spirit who spreads the love of God abroad in our hearts. To the one true God be all glory and all honor from now and for all eternity. Amen. God bless you.